Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 929. An inexpensive BMW is the most expensive used car you'll ever buy. (laughs) This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Lee Dorrington. Hey, Lee, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am, Mark. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to have you here. Lee Dorrington is an automotive researcher, writer, and historian, and the founder and president of Pendine International Automotive Media and Marketing in Essex, Connecticut. He has written for numerous online publications, and he is a senior contributor at Vintage Motorsport. Lee has contributed to many book projects and event programs from the Indianapolis 500 to the Amelia Island Concours d'Elegance. He served as a director to multiple prestigious Concours events, judged and helped create and curate automotive-related exhibits. He's a founding partner of the Collector's Car Garage in Bedford Hills, New York, and in his early career, he was a pioneer in the field of motorsports marketing, providing strategic guidance, program development, management, evaluation, and much, much more. I don't think there is anything you haven't done, Lee. So I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles? Sure. Very thanks, Mark. Very briefly, I've enjoyed every bit of it. And I'm very (laughs) fortunate. I'm very grateful for that. Now I have the opportunity to work as a journalist and an automotive historian. It's very rewarding. And what I enjoy most is telling other people's stories. Yes, absolutely. And I'll let our listeners know, you know, Lee's one of these guys that when you meet him, you're an instant friend. And I've done 929 of these interviews now. And many times people call in and we do a brief hello and then we get started. And I think now we've talked for about 40 minutes before we even started this show. So I've got an automatic friend in Lee. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Lee, take the wheel. All right, thanks. And I'll tell you, if uh, I was an English major, so if anybody ever tells you or listeners that you can't do anything with an English major, don't believe them. (laughs) I had to think about this, but it actually was very simple because it's what I've been repeating all of my life, it's a, it's a quote from, I believe it's William Blake, the uh, poet. It's, if man's reach does not exceed his grasp, then what is heaven for? <laughs> nice, nice. Well, how have you incorporated that into your life since that's been something you've repeated over and over? I may keep saying I've been very fortunate, and I have. I've also worked very hard, like all of us have. Yes. Um, and together, they've, they've created some tremendous opportunities, and, and I think the thing I'm proudest of is, They've given me an opportunity to provide extremely well for my family doing something that I truly have a passion for. Uh, I think the way the quote relates is that I've always, always reached. I've never been satisfied with the status quo or the way things have been done, or even with the notion that this is all that can be done. Mm -hmm. I always try to reach beyond that. Uh, If we talked about some of the programs I've had the opportunity to work with, there's some including some pretty humorous examples of that. But the idea is I've always tried to exceed uh, whatever has been done before. One category of that that I 
particularly enjoyed working in for a number of years. I, I don't any longer, but uh, with press introductions, I loved working with Bentley because their mantra was only do things that no one but Bentley could do. If you think about that for a minute, the doors that that opens, and they were tremendous to work with. I later started using that to share with especially young people who work with me, the idea that the next thing we do has to be better than the last thing we did. The next thing we do has to be better than what anybody else has ever done. Mm, nice. I like that's that. A fun, that's a fun way to work. Yeah, no, it is. It's great. And it's, it's a way you keep achieving and doing more and getting better and better. It's the sharpening of the saw, if you will, or the Kaizen effect that you just have to keep raising the bar and things will get better and better. I like that very much. Well, if you could share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars, is there a pivotal moment when you look back in your life that you knew you were a car guy? It's very simple. I was riding in the front seat of my dad's Packard. All I could see was the dashboard because everything was well above my head. But I studied everything on that dashboard and I was fascinated. <laughs> That's a pretty cool start. What model year was that Packard? Uh, it wasn't one of the big ones. My dad, my dad was actually a theater director and, and traveled and did own smaller Packards for the most part. But they were great cars for for his travel and, and the lifestyle that he had in those years. Yeah, I don't recall. I do recall exactly the one that it was. There was a picture of one in the driveway. My first picture was sitting on my grandmother's lap. There's a Packard in the driveway that was a uh, custom Clipper. Oh yeah, so that was. I, I love. I, I love to tell the story, especially to my Packard friends, that because I don't own one and don't expect to own one at this point in my life. But I love to tell the story of my Packard friends. That I was driven home from the hospital in a Packard. Oh, oh yes, yeah. Well, there's something to taunt him with. That's pretty cool. Wow, that's really neat. In fact, I, you know, that's a question I never asked my parents, and I I should do that with my mom. No. What car was I first driven home in? Because I do have a picture of myself sitting in my mom's lap in an MGA when I was about oh. nine months old that my dad was driving. So, uh, you know, that's kind of my first recollection. Well, I don't recall it, but the picture makes me think I remember it. <laughs> but I was so tiny right. and small. But well, I uh, just described a picture. I only I can only describe from the picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a long time ago. Well, Lee, what I want to do now is take a look at the many roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure. And the great thing about these stories is what do these situations and experiences teach us? So tell us about your failure, your challenge. Walk us through it. But tell us how that helped you gain even more momentum in your career, your business, and your life. I'm going to say I'm a big believer in failure. And I think you know what I'm saying, that uh, <laughs> we do often learn more. I, I actually heard someone speak when the first dot-com crash occurred. I'll never forget reading a comment that a man made. And he said, I learned a lot more on the way down than I ever learned on the way up. <laughs> yes, I love that comment. So I do, I do believe in the value of failure. This is a story that may stretch for a bit, but probably the, the single broadest program I was ever responsible for was a program for Bentley. It was the worldwide introduction of the Continental GTC some years ago. Uh, the coupe had already been out. This was the introduction of the convertible, of course. And because the U.S. is Bentley's largest convertible market worldwide, they had made the decision a year or more earlier that the event would take place in the U.S. And, and I was fortunate enough to um, be chosen in a competitive bidding process to create and implement the program for me. And one of the one of the reasons was because I was located in the U.S. and I was doing a number of these programs. I knew the right places and the right roads, but it was a tremendous program. When it started out from the very beginning, we called it the Bentley American Experience. Mm. 
and it was a it was a fantastic experience. The original brief read it was going to be a journalist ride and drive program, literally across the United States. And if you remember what I said about Bentley, and don't think of anything that anybody but Bentley could do. <laughs> so the proposal for the program actually required laying out the entire program, the drive route, the five-star resorts for each night stop, the meals. All of that act work actually went into the proposal that they... Oh, my gosh. And uh, it, it, it was extraordinary. In the end, they did trim it back. It evolved into uh, a fairly large... I think we did 10 or 12 separate events, uh, half of them at Meadowood in Napa Valley and the other half in Aspen. And then there were over 100 journalists, again, worldwide journalists who participated. We had a group of Middle Eastern journalists who uh, were our last group. It was a six-week event. So one of those where we all lived together, worked together, got to know each other really well over a six-week period. The last group to come in was one of our groups in Aspen. And it actually snowed the day before they were arriving, and they were coming from the (laughs) Middle East. Oh, my gosh. It was one of those things that nobody but Bentley could even think about. Yep. It was, you know, the the usual round of two to three day events, half of them in, in uh, Napa Valley, half in Aspen. But there was the epic event was for the A-list journalists that we drove from Napa to Aspen across California through Death Valley, Las Vegas, Sedona, the Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, Moab, Utah. We stayed and we actually bought out an entire resort. So no one else would be there. It's the, it's the resort that Michael Schumacher used to take his his own family and his friends to when he got a vacation wow. because he knew he could enjoy it yeah. and wouldn't be bothered there. And then eventually ended up in Aspen at the end of that trip, and that was was absolutely fantastic. The, the entire Bentley program was a challenge, of course. It was an epic program. I spent an entire year of my life managing the program from here on the East Coast. I get into a routine where over pretty much a three week period, I spend a week in my own office planning. Then I'd travel to, uh, the client was Bentley and crew, Uh not in the United States. And then going over everything I'd been working on. And then I'd go from crew back to the West Coast and spend the week on the West Coast refining it and just kept repeating that over and over again. Wow. So the whole program was a tremendous challenge. And I was was very proud of what we accomplished. In the course of uh, learning Bentley, I learned that Bentleys never break down. They may sometimes fail to proceed, but they don't break down. (laughs) Very nicely said. I love to repeat that one, too. With the other automakers, I I did these programs with BMW and Mini and other people as well. But with the others, they always, of course, provide a a chase vehicle with technicians and spares following along behind the, the journalists on the drive. We had all of that with Bentley as well. But we were also required to provide a tow vehicle and an enclosed trailer with a spare Bentley. Oh, wow. That was just part of some some of the fun of working with Bentley. But on a particular day, I was with the lead group, and we were already well into Death Valley early in the morning. Because once everything was organized, I'd usually go first to make sure everything was waiting for us throughout the day, of course. So well into Death Valley, the only contact we had with anyone was by satellite phones. Okay. And I got a call from my Bentley colleague saying that two of the journalists had already damaged one of the cars. They Uh had jumped in a a $200,000 Bentley Continental GTC. They jumped a whoop-de-doo and damaged the oil pan. Uh. So I, I got the call first, and we were at least an hour ahead of where this had taken place. So I called the guys with the truck and the trailer and the spare Bentley as well, and from a distance was able to coordinate all of this, getting the car to the, the drivers, the drivers in the new car and on their way. And I thought we'd be finished at that point. But that was only the beginning of the story, because when I let my client know that it had been completed, 
instead of a thanks, he told me to go ahead of everybody else, get into Las Vegas, find a garage with a lift where we could get access and have the Bentley inspected as soon as, as it arrived in the closed trailer at the yeah, end of the day. Sure. Sure. Exactly. That was, that was my first reaction. Yeah, that's well. easy. <laughs> but, but that's what we did. And that's what made this portion of my career particularly fun. Yeah. With several phone calls, we were able to arrange for assistance from Roger Penske's Ferrari dealership <laughs> well, perfect. in Las Vegas. They, perfect. They couldn't have been more cooperative or more friendly. I mean, it was it was absolutely everything you would expect from a Penske organization. And I'll always be very grateful for it. We arrived, we made personal contact, and we're told that they'd be happy to help us, but all of their texts left by 5 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and so at that time... We thought that wouldn't be any problem, but the problem became the guys who were bringing the damaged car in the trailer fell behind, and then they got lost. When Actually, when they got into Las Vegas, they got completely lost instead of following the directions we had provided, and oh. it ended up, they're calling me. They were actually panicking. They said, we don't know where we are. We don't know what to do. In the meantime, the service manager had agreed to keep his guys past 5 o'clock. Yeah, which so they're all is, sitting is around. part of this story. <laughs> so everybody's sitting around, and you know the responsibility was on me to make sure that it all worked for everybody. And I finally started saying to the drivers with the trailer, just look outside the car. Tell me what you're looking at. Yeah. And then direct to them until they finally arrived. Oh, gosh. So when they did arrive, and the, and the manager did keep his text there, the car went up onto the lift. The problem was diagnosed and repaired. And while we were waiting, the Penske staff washed all two dozen of the Bentleys for us. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That was something we had to do every night, of course. And we had our own guys and the facility set up. But instead of that, they washed 24 Bentleys for us while they wow. took care of the one that was up on wow. the lift. So Awesome. And, and believe it or not, we have a lot of stories like that. That's just one of them. I'm sure on a trip that th- is that grand. Well, Penske organizations, my gosh, top notch. So very, very cool. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment when some kind of new direction opened and presented its opportunities to you. What was yours? I was working with Amico. On a consulting basis, Emico, of course, was one of the top 50 Fortune corporations, and they had retained me to answer the question, should we even be involved in racing or not? Emico had been involved with Mario Andretti previously, and, and there were always people saying, trying to get Emico back into racing. I, I was particularly impressed that they asked the question that they did, not how do we get into racing, but should we ever be there? This project, in fact, actually provided template for the business I've worked on for 25 years since then. We we went through several months of studying their business first, then providing strategic insights into how to utilize motorsports effectively as as a marketing tool. And then we'd match the two together. So it was very much of a process learning both sides and bringing the two sides together and showing them uh, how to match their business with different motorsports opportunities. And the key there was there was no one answer. Mm. We were able to show people strategically how we could match their audience geographically, the makeup of their audience, and that there were different ways and remarkably different costs of using motorsports as an effective marketing tool. I see. And the result of that was we literally able to show a return on investment in the way that we structured and managed these programs. So at the end of end of each program, at the end of each year, we would do a review with our clients where we were able to show them this is what we set out to accomplish and we could quantify what we what we accomplished during the year. And that's what we did with Amico. We established a business to manage the program. They told me surprisingly 
over the course of a year or so, we had found that we enjoyed working together very much and the program was working well. And they offered me the opportunity to start my own business to manage the Amico Racing Program. Nice. is what I did. Yeah. I called my business Pendine Motorsports Marketing initially, and uh, it later expanded to an international business, but initially it was Pendine Motorsports Marketing. Amico was our cornerstone client, and my client and good friend, a, a gentleman named Don Overby, was the person who made it possible for me to take this step in my life. In, in addition to helping me in my business career, he was also just one of the best people I've ever known. We used to travel together frequently, of course, and I, I just he was older than I was, and his family was already raised, and I just learned so many things from Don, and uh, just really grateful for the, the friendship as well as the, the business that came out of that. Yeah. Wow. Awesome story. That is really cool. Well, I would assume you've had many very proud moments in your career. Your career has been so long and so varied. Is there one that really stands out you would share? Yes. Your insight is right. I've been very fortunate to have many great opportunities. And I've and as I said before, I've always worked hard when I recognize those opportunities. But I suppose what I'm most proud of is that I was able to live my dream and provide for a young family even in a way that was better than I ever imagined. And I'm very <laughs> grateful for that. No doubt. No doubt. Very cool. And that's the huge part of what Cars Yeah is all about, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, people who've wrapped that passion in their careers, and you figured out the secret sauce. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and go back into your life and talk about your first really special car. What was that vehicle? It was a Datsun 240Z. Ah, I love it. I did too. <laughs> you know, I got to drive one of those when they first came out. A neighbor who was actually on my paper route, one of my customers, uh, let me drive her car and uh, detail it for her. And I thought that was the coolest thing. It was lime green. First year they came out, if, if I remember right. But tell us a, a memory you have about your Z. <laughs> well, first of all, it was my first sports car. And it sounds like both of us and most of the people that would be a part of this conversation, we grew, that's what we always grew up wanting. And I was no exception to that. It was, I was just recently out of college and I had a chance to get my 240Z and I loved it. It was the handling, of course, but also the power. I had never driven a car with power like that. It just pulled and pulled and pulled. And it seemed like, you know, it just, it never ended. Yeah. It's just a wonderful car to drive. I did have, and one unusual problem with it, there was an electrical problem with the tack. And the first time it happened, I was driving from Chicago uh, down to Indianapolis for the weekend. I had a lot of friends still in graduate school there. I was on the highway, the interstate, and driving along. And all of a sudden, I noticed my tack started slowly going up. And I thought, well, that's strange. I yeah. made sure my foot wasn't on the up. gas. Yeah. I looked at it, and, then, and then I noticed the speedometer wasn't going up with the tack. Oh, and I uh -oh. Thought, oh no, this is not this isn't going to end well. The only thing I could think of was I put in the clutch and shut off the engine and coasted to the side of the road. And my heart's beating. I, I was in the middle of nowhere. It was dark. We all know what your first sports car meant to you, and this one meant every bit of that more to me. So I turned the engine back on. It came up, and the tack started going right up again. So I knew it was an electrical flaw yeah. and that I could drive safely sure. without damaging yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever had a scarier moment behind the wheel than that one. Yeah, no, all you can see is dollar signs flying out of the hood when uh, over-revving <laughs> an right. engine like that. Yeah, blow a head gasket or worse, you know, break a piston or a valve. Ah, well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned to let go you wish you had back? There is. I, I think we all do. 
Uh, I also have the cars I wished I had bought. That always comes up well, too. But that list is far too long. <laughs> yes, you have the one I sold, and and as I said again, I I've been very fortunate and worked hard, and I'm grateful for all of that. But I did have a Proteus C type Jaguar replica for a number of years. Oh, nice! And it was just a, a fantastic car. It was the only time I ever indulged myself with something like that. It was after a business decision that made it possible and. I had always been very conservative and, and always put my family first. And, mm-hmm. and I continued to do that. But this was a case where I could do something. And I thought, okay, you've waited your entire life to do this. What are you going to do? And uh, I did have a C-Type for a number of years and just loved it. Yeah. Oh, beautiful cars. What are you working on these days that has you really excited and fired up? I, I am actually. And I, as I said earlier, one of the things I most enjoy about what I do now is I get to tell other people's stories and, and sometimes particularly people who didn't have the chance to tell their own story. Quick example is last year, I did a piece for Vintage Motorsport on Dave McDonald, and I was actually honored to be able to do that. I, I spent many, many years collecting information and, and finally putting it together, but I've just completed a story for the January issue on Richie Ginther, and that was, it was similar. I always admired Richie Ginther, you know, one of three Americans racing in Formula One in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody else remembers in 1961, not only did we have an American world champion, but three Americans finished in the top five in the world championship. Mm, yeah. Of course, it's Phil Hill, Dan Gurney, and Richie Ginther. Yeah, wow. So much has been said, and especially in his later years, the travel in Mexico and that sort of thing. I've never been satisfied with what I've been able to learn about Richie Ginther as a as person, what he did, why he did the things he did, you know, what went on in his later years. And and I've, I've had the chance over the last year to research and talk with many, many people. I've, I have, I've literally been thrilled with the number of people who were really happy to talk with me about Richie Ginther. Going back through the early years in California, all of the years in Formula One, of course, but especially what did he do after he left Formula One? And there was a piece in the transition there that I didn't realize. And and like many of us, I'm a huge Dan Gurney and AAR fan, but I found that at the end of 1966, after the Mexican Grand Prix, uh, Dan Gurney offered Richie Ginther the second eagle for 1967. And I'm not sure this story's been told very much. Wow. Uh, It was actually Bob Bondurant who told me. Bob said he was at the lunch with Richie Ginther and Dan Gurney when the, this agreement was made. And so going into 1967, Richie Ginther was set up to drive the second Eagle for a full Formula One season cool. and also to drive an Eagle at Indianapolis. Yeah, wow. And so it's things like that that, that make it worthwhile. And, and I am very excited about the Richie Ginther story. We just finished it last week, and it will be in the January-February 2018 issue of Vintage Motorsport. Very cool. Well, Bob Bondurant, of course, you know, uh, gosh, a legend. But uh, you mentioned Dave McDonald. I had his son, Rich, on the show here uh, not too long ago. And he was able to Mm -hmm. share a lot of stories about his dad and all the the different aspects of his life. But, yeah, I think that's the greatest thing I'm hearing from you is you just get to get involved in so many people's lives and then share those stories. I think it's very, very cool. Very exciting life you've had. Thank you. That is one of the reasons I really enjoy. I did work with Rich, of course. I met Rich for the first time in the course of doing a story with his dad. Mm -hmm. He was so helpful and provided so many resources. But when I finish these stories, very honestly, the piece that I feel the best about is when the subject or the subject's family says to me, you really got it. Uh No one has ever told the story this well. And and I've been fortunate. I've heard that over and over again. I think John Fitch might have been the first one to say that to me. Fred Simeon with his museum 
I did my story a couple of years after they'd been open mm-hmm. and he, uh, he actually called me after he read it and said, you got it. Nobody <laughs> else ever understood or could explain what we were trying to do here. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I do that to me is the, the greatest credit I could ever look for when the subject is happy that we got their story right. Absolutely. That means you're a great listener. That's what that means there. Very nice. Yeah, Rich is just such a nice guy. I've gotten to know he him, is. of course, and all the folks there at Superformance, Landstander, and uh, everyone mm-hmm. else has just been fantastic. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Lee. If you were a car, what kind <laughs> of vehicle would you be and why? That's an easy one. I would be a Jaguar C-Type. Ah, For all of the great qualities of those cars, it's understated, confident, capable it's you know capable of inspiring tremendous emotions with, with other people and i would be a jaguar c type very nicely put you're the first one of those on this show too which is pretty cool so oh good yeah good. very unique guy of course well lee up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsors well we're into december now and the holidays are here And if you have an automotive enthusiast on your list that's hard to buy for, get them a Covercraft gift card. They can go and order anything they want from the Covercraft website. All sorts of things are there, including car covers, dash covers, seat covers, sunscreens, front-end protection, floor mats, canine covers, work truck, power sports covers. There's everything there for the automotive enthusiast to take care of their special vehicles. I've been a Covercraft user since 1975. That's right. All the way back to high school. So go to Covercraft.com, click on the gift card button, order it in any denomination you'd like. You can put it in the mail, they'll ship it for you, stick it in a stocking, and you'll make somebody very happy. That's Covercraft.com, Covercraft gift cards at Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, You'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, Lee, we are back, and we're entering what I call the last lap, the lightning round here. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? An inexpensive BMW is the most expensive used car you'll ever buy. (laughs) Oh, I'm a big BMW fan, but I think you're probably right. The only thing that might beat that is a Jaguar, so... (laughs) For sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Persistence. 
Yes. You know, I hear this from every entrepreneur on this show, persistence, tenacity, grit. And you've mentioned it mm-hmm. over and over. You just have to work hard. You know, that's all. <laughs> that's, yes. that's all, as I say so flippantly. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners? I do. And actually, I, I'm thrilled to share it. It's the Motorsport Archives, the British publication Motorsport. I think they're in their 92nd year now. Wow. I've been using their archives for years, and now they're all available online. You can even uh, structure a subscription to Motorsport that includes unlimited access to their archives. And that, that's something I use on an almost daily basis. Oh, very, very nice. First time that's been recommended, so I love that. It's terrific. One reason is it gives you that unique first-person experience that you can't create if you weren't there. Mm. And when, when you're telling someone else's story, most of the time I wasn't there. Yeah. So instead of just describing it, to go back into the motorsports archives and, and you can find a piece that I just used in some comments that Richard Hazeltine had had a chance to um, talk with Phil Hill mm. uh, before he passed away. And they were talking about Richie Ginter, for example. And those are insights that would be impossible to create today. And it, it's, a tremendous, it's uh, a tremendous resource. Can't wait to go poke around there. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? Dan Gurney. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, I think that'd be fantastic. I've had the joy of meeting him a few times briefly when he published his Mm -hmm. last book when I was at the Quail one year and then Laguna Seca Mm -hmm. and another event, racing event. What a marvelous man. Yeah, he's a a true gem in our lives. Uh, Would you share a book that you really have enjoyed that you think our listeners should read as well? I do have one book that I find I use more frequently than anything else in my own research. That's The Complete Ferrari. From God for Eaton. Oh, yeah. Priceless. Yeah, what a fantastic book. Well, listeners, you can find all these great resources that Lee's been so kind to share on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Lee, L-E-I-G-H, Dorrington, and you will find that page with all these cool links. There's another great place on the Cars Yeah website. You've heard this before, guest recommended books, where I put all these great books my uh, inspiring automotive enthusiasts have recommended with quick, easy clicks and links to buy. Check it out. There's over a 1,000 very cool books there relating to business and automobiles. All right, Lee, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a bit of a doozy for a car guy like you and me. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. It doesn't matter where it is or who belongs to it because it's going to end up in your garage, and I'm going to write the check, so don't worry about the cost. And Christmas is just a few days away, so I'm feeling extra special today. So uh, you just pick any car you'd like. What's it going to be and why? Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. A C-Type Jaguar. I, you know, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But this this time a real one, right? Yeah, this is a real one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the car just has it all. Speed, yeah. beauty, heritage. There's nothing better. Uh, what color would you like yours to be? British racing green, of course. Yeah, well, you know, I think I can get it there by Monday, which is Christmas. And so uh, that'll look really that'll good work. with a big red bow on the hood, I think, with that nice yes, green color. Yes, it will. So I better get to work. Well, Lee, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. And I want to thank you for sharing your wonderful automotive journey with the Cars yeah! audience and with me. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that C-Type a Jaguar? Thanks, Mark. Uh, first, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share. I, I think we both really enjoyed this conversation. Yes. I know I haven't. Yes. And it's a, it's a real privilege for me to have a chance to speak with you. Thank you. I would. You know, it, it's another old one, but it's worked for me. And just follow your heart. 
Yeah, yeah. That's the best way to go through life. Uh, your heart will always guide you in the right direction. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and follow along with what you're up to these days? I appreciate that. My Facebook page would be the best place. It's, as you said, Lee Dorrington. I actually use that as kind of my own album. Uh, it's all about cars. Awesome. Great. Well, listeners, you'll find all these great links on Lee's show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. Just type Lee, L-E-I-G-H into that search bar and that page will pop up. Uh, I'd encourage you to follow him in Facebook. Enjoy all the many travels. This is a guy that goes everywhere, gets around everywhere and is having fun with automobiles. Lee, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your wonderful life with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It's my privilege. (laughs) The pleasure's all mine. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.